Welcome everyone to the Money Mentors Podcast. My name is Glenn Fairburn and I'm here with my co-host Nathan Lear. Uh, we're both directors and private client advisors at Hewson Private Wealth, which is one of Australia's leading independent financial planning and wealth management firms. Uh, the purpose of this podcast is, is to improve financial literacy and financial awareness. Um, this week, Nathan and I have a chat about the um, recent Productivity Commission's report into superannuation, uh, which was really um, designed to look at the efficiency and competitiveness within the industry. Um, so we just work through some of the key issues um, and, and give our thoughts as to what some of the recommendations were. Um, we hope you enjoy the podcast. Welcome everybody to this week's episode of the Money Mentors podcast. So Glenn, earlier this week, the Productivity Commission released a quite a substantial report on superannuation. Um, and look, the, the report generally was quite scathing on some structural flaws, as they put it, in the, in the superannuation uh, industry. Um, a couple of the key issues that were raised, which we'll go into a bit of detail in, in a moment, was around uh, things such as multiple accounts, um, extra, which, which causes or results in extra layers of fees, uh, and underperforming funds, so in terms of performance. Um, just to quickly introduce what the Productivity Commission is, uh, it's an independent body which was uh, basically put in place by the government um, to provide research and advice uh, to the government on, on many issues, whether it's economic, social, environmental, th things of that nature. Um, so, Glenn, obviously there's been a bit of press about this over the last uh, few days. Um, where you, I'll throw it over you in terms of you know some of your key takeouts where you want to start. Look, I think just just reading through, I, I did take the time to uh, read through all eighty five pages of the uh, the commission's report, and and I think a big part of the motivation behind it was really to obviously review the system that's in place, but largely to try and provide recommendations, obviously to improve the efficiency of superannuation, but in particular, um, I suppose in some ways protect those who aren't really engaged with superannuation. I think a big part of the findings undertaken by the Productivity Commission were that most people just aren't engaged at all um, with their superannuation, in particular younger people um, and people that are many years out from retirement. Obviously, the engagement within superannuation and the interest with investment options and, and um, superannuation funds and so forth becomes greater as you get closer to retirement. But there's no doubt that the greatest issue within superannuation, which is a a compulsory system um, is that I think there's no doubting that I mean just reading through some of the findings and some of the recommendations that things need to be done to make it easier for people but to also protect those who don't have the financial literacy perhaps um, that others may have because it is a very complex system um, and I, I think you know we were just chatting before the podcast about you know a young person starting out in superannuation or starting out in employment they might be employed in a sector that's got nothing to do with finances at all, had very little experience with investing, with superannuation. I mean, it is, it's, a, it's a minefield, isn't it? To work through and then your employer says, oh, you know, what super fund do you want? Or here's a list of default super options. Largely, a lot of people just have no idea, do they? Yeah, yeah. And, and look, you probably reminded me before the podcast that we, we work in, in finance. And I mean, even when we're more younger, maybe, and starting out with our first jobs, maybe we were a little bit more financially minded because it's something we're interested in but i think yeah you are right glenn that 
most of the a major, probably a large portion of the population, this isn't something that they're uh, obviously you know, it's not front of mind for them. They perhaps don't have an interest in it. And, no. And when when your employer says, well, if you don't have a particular fund, here's our default fund. Um, there's a there's a very good chance that they might just run with it. And if that is a if that is an underperforming fund and so its performance hasn't been good or it charges high fees and they don't make any changes to that over over many, many years, there is every chance that they could be significantly worse off as a result. Yeah, no doubt. And look, one, one of the um, results from the findings were that um, of, of the funds that they looked at, I mean, two-thirds of them did outperform, so that, that's good, but that still means that a third of them underperformed the benchmark. So if you were in a situation where your default fund was one of those underperformers, that could significantly... We've, we've spoken about the power of compounding many times, you know, one or two percent underperformance that can significantly impact your long-term um, superannuation balance. Mm-hmm. So there's no doubt that it is really important to get that decision right pretty early on, isn't it? Sure, um, Glenn. One of the one of the, um, the the criticisms of the industry at the moment, which was highlighted in, in the report, was that many superannuation members have multiple accounts. Yeah. Um, what's your yeah? What's what's your what are your comments on that? Well, from a practical sense, we see that all the time, don't we? Mm. Um, where people or individuals, in particular in the current environment, where it's very unlikely that people will stay with the one employer for their whole career. So that that may have been the norm many years ago, but now people are changing employers quite often, and every time they change employers, if if they're once again not engaged and they don't have that financial literacy or awareness they're more than likely just to go with the default fund each and every time. And I think I don't think it's very uncommon to see people with multiple funds. Mm. And as we know, the issues with that are that there's multiple costs across all those funds, aren't there? Because you've got multiple layers of administration fees um, and, and it becomes really, really expensive. So not only does picking the wrong fund that may be underperforming significantly impact your, I suppose, retirement benefit, but if you've got multiple funds then costs is, can be a massive drag on, on performance. Yeah, um, definitely the multiple administration fees, that, that, that could add up. And uh, we, spoke about, we spoke about insurance as well be, before the podcast. And insurance, um, you know, th- there is some changes which, are, which were announced in the budget. But if, if you do have multiple funds with multiple insurances, you, you could be doubling up and the premiums could also erode the value of your fund as well. Yeah, and look, that, that, that's probably a major point that I wanted to have a bit of a chat about with regards yeah. to the impact um, of insurance. Um, just just on the issues with default funds, and I think that was that's probably caught a lot of people's attention in the media this week where there's been a little bit of toing and froing. Oh, obviously, that, I mean, Super Choice came in many years ago, but there's still um, a system in place where people are... I suppose, required to have their superannuation benefits paid into um, a set so, number of default funds according to their workplace arrangements. Glenn, so, Glenn, can we just go back? Great point you're going with, but can we just go back super choice? So do you want to maybe just go back from, from many, many years ago when before choice? Do you want to spend a, spend a moment talking about that and what's changed and why, why well, this has kind of come up? I mean, it was, it was some years ago now, but before super choice... I mean, some employees may have had choice of super, but largely the employer could say, well, this is our fund. So you didn't have a, didn't didn't have have a choice, choice back in the day. Yeah, correct. Yeah. So if, if you joined an employer and as part of your employment contract, contributions had to be paid to XYZ fund, then that's just the way it was. Yep. So the power was very much with the employer and that had shifted to the employee. Um, but there are still a lot of 
um, employees as part of their workplace arrangements where they're still limited as to what funds they can select from. Mm. Um, and, and I think that's where perhaps there's been a little bit of uh, political issue in, in as a result of this report because largely what what this fund, what, what the Productivity Commission's proposing is that an independent panel basically compile a short list of, of, of 10 funds which are basically best of breed so that in the, in the um, situation where someone joins and has no idea what fund, that through that particular process, the hope is that at least their default fund is a high-performing you know, top 10 fund mm. selected from an independent panel as opposed to just being a, a legislative default or a default as part of your workplace arrangement, which, yes, it could be in your best interest. And as I said, two-thirds of funds um, are outperforming a benchmark. But if that default fund that you're employer is... is um, requiring you to have contributions paid into is one of the underperformers. It's not going to do you many favours in the longer term. So I think that's perhaps where a lot of issues have and a lot of debate has, has been created around that and how that impacts you know, workplace arrangements and, and so forth. Yep. So employees have gone from having no choice once upon a time to, to having choice. Uh, some, as you identified, some people, it's a, it's a little bit with their awards and whatnot, it's a little bit more difficult for them to, to have that free you know, actual choice in terms of selecting a fund where this this proposal is going uh, it, it's going a little bit further where when you perhaps start a job you'll get a you'll get a list of 10 which is the the, the best of breed um, an independent panel has selected those 10 however I think the key point that I just wanted to mention was that you can still choose one over and above that if you you know have an advisor yeah. or do your own research and and you're not limited to that list of 10. No, I think it's really... My, my take on, on reading through the report was that that list of 10 is really just to protect those who have got no, no engagement, idea. no literacy, no idea, so that when, when they are, I suppose, um, completely disengaged with their super, the, the hope is that at least they're going into the fund which you know, is independently selected mm-hmm. and, and arguably is best of breed. Yep. So I mean, yeah. I, personally, I don't really have an issue with that. I mean, I think it's hopefully that creates. I mean, part of the research was looking at competition within the industry, and what what they were basically saying was that there's a lot of competition and innovation around, I suppose, reporting and 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 digital platforms and communication, but there hasn't been a lot of competition around performance, um, which in the end is basically what will provide individuals with, um, you know. A superannuation benefit down the track. It's all good and well for them to be investing in innovation and reporting systems, but one one of the issues that that was discovered was that there's very little competition being created that's driving better returns for for members. Sure. Well, speaking of performance, I might have a have a quick chat about that now because in the report, it obviously you know when selecting a fund, probably the the two key things that come up in this report and most people tend to look at is is fees and performance. Um, so on the performance side of it. Um, probably the key the key takeout was the, the the stronger performance of the industry funds, and that's probably generally tied to tied to lower fees because it has less of a it doesn't erode as as much value, I guess. Um, so the the perform the annual performance um, stated in the report for um, effectively in industry funds was was six point eight percent per annum, whereas the 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 performance figure for retail funds was 4.9 percent so that's almost a a two percent 
difference. And that, and uh, you know, as I was saying earlier, two percent per annum over 30, 40 years, they can have a significant impact. Um, so I think it shines a very positive light with the industry funds or with the not-for-profit funds. Um, and, and not so good for the uh, for the retail funds. So I think if anything, it just shows you the importance of really understanding what you're paying within your fund. And, and yes, you know, for a lot of people, it's a long-term thing and they think, oh, superannuation, you know, 30 years before I can access it, there's only a small amount going in each year. But if we're looking at the impact of performance, we've spoken many times about how substantial that can be over a long period of time. Mm. So I think it's time that people do take control of it. One, I mean, the proposals that we've been talking about as far as default funds and, and a shortlist, they're probably more so going to help the new entrants into the market. But for people who are out there that already have funds in place, if anything, looking at the variance in performance across not just retail and, um, and not-for-profit funds, but even within those segments, because you may be in a not-for-profit fund, but it may be significantly underperforming another not-for-profit fund. So you've got to make sure that you know, it's doing what it needs to do without being too short-sighted as well. I mean, you don't want to be chopping and changing from one fund to the next just because it underperformed in any one year. And that's where the importance of long-term performance is important as well. Um, but I think one of the proposals around default funds that I, I, I found really good was that the default allocation to a fund um, for, for new entrants to the workforce should be made only once so when they actually yeah. start employment not every time they change um, employers because if you're chopping and changing from one job to the next that's when you end up with multiple funds whereas if you just make that default option when you start working hopefully that fund stays with you for a longer period of time yeah Glenn what, what, reading through the report what, what were some other I guess key takeouts that you wanted to, to have a chat about I think insurance is one of those ones oh, and yeah. I know that we yeah. spoke about that um in our insurance podcast, more so about just understanding the insurance you've got. But I think in a lot of ways, that's linked to having multiple funds because if you've got four or five different funds and they've all got multiple insurance policies, then you're paying premiums across that range. Um, but also, I agree with what the report's saying is that really there should be an opt-in with insurance, not so much an opt-out because if you're 21 years of age, and the default level of insurance is two hundred thousand yeah. dollars. Do you really need that level of insurance? Yeah, do you need life? Exactly do you need TPD? Do you need income protection? All these levels of insurance costing money. They they do cost a lot of money. If you've got multiple funds, you know the argument is that do you really need a fund being eroded by insurance premiums that you shouldn't be paying? And and also one of the findings which was a little bit alarming was that people are paying for insurance within their industry funds in particular that they may not even be able to claim on. That's right. So, so it's, it's useless paying it's for useless. it. You're paying for <laughs> things that you can't... Have. So I, I think that the opt-in option there is, is a good one. But obviously, if you're, a, um, if you're on the board of an industry fund, these are all things that will be impacting revenue. So I think that's why perhaps they're not too, um, not too happy about some of these sure. proposals. Sure. I'll just, I'll just go through a couple of key points and Glenn, jump in where, where you need to. Um, about, about a third of accounts... Uh, or 10 million in number, uh, unintended multiple accounts. So, I mean, that, that's a big number, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it was, a third, it, it, a duplicate. Unfortunately, it's not surprising because you just see so many people have just mm. got... Mo one, most people don't even know where their super is. I mean, how many times have we met with clients 
mm. and they're like, oh, I don't even know what my super is. And, and, and we, we, yeah, as you mentioned, we spoke about this on our superannuation podcast where one of our main objectives of this podcast is to improve financial literacy. And yeah. um, I mean, it is one thing, it, it does stagger me. And I said to you, Glenn, before we started the podcast that I really wish that, you know, many, many Australians would take back control of their super. And But as I, as I said earlier, maybe um, I'm being a little bit unreasonable because... You know, if you're a tradesman start or, or you know, starting your first job on a construction site, you know, you probably put a bit of faith in your employer to to put you in the right super fund. And you yeah, know, maybe you, you might be young, and maybe as you get older and mature. Well, most people just don't even care. Like when you're mm. first starting out employment, retirement's the last thing you're probably thinking about. And mm. and if you're on a you know a modest salary, if you're an apprentice or 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 even a graduate, I mean, when you first start, you're not earning a lot of money, so. 10% of your salary, let's just say it's a few thousand dollars a year. You probably think, I don't, to be honest, I don't even care where my super's going. Um, and also, you know, financial literacy is so low that even if you gave people the default options, they'll be like, oh, I don't know. I don't know which one to select. Like, which one yeah. do I go with? Balance, growth, and so forth. And one of the other things that I found interesting, uh, I suppose a new theme on the investment side of thing that's emerged in the last probably five years is that life cycle investing. Yeah. Um, yeah, where it's effectively the strategy that's employed is driven by what your age is. So, for example, if you're 20 years of age, it might be an 80% allocation to growth assets like shares and property and a lower allocation to fixed interest. And then as you age, it automatically shifts to another life cycle. So, by the time you get to age 60, perhaps it's more a conservative strategy. But what this report basically showed was that in a lot of ways, they hardly added any benefit at all. Um, so you know th- there's things that you probably go into you know having some faith and hope that you're doing the right thing but largely it's a very difficult thing to select yeah yeah um, the, the report just as they do they kind of modeled out a few numbers and 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 they think by by fixing some of these problems a new entrant into the into the workforce today could could effectively uh, save or or, or or build up four hundred and seven thousand dollars more in their superannuation fund by the time they retire. Um, I mean, look, obviously, when you see numbers like that, it is it's significant, isn't it? And we're talking billions of dollars. I mean, just yeah. on that point, um, if you're looking at the the number of member accounts um, that exist, um, if if all the members in the under underperforming funds just receive the median return, so obviously you've got that median return. Um, that's the average return across a number of different funds. Um, if all the members in the underperforming funds just received that median, so the average return, that would add about $1.3 billion a year to the total number or the total level of superannuation assets mm. in Australia. So we're talking massive amounts of money. And it just, I think it just further highlights the impact of, of just staying with, with an underperforming fund. Mm. Like it's, yeah. there's, there's no, there's, there's, yeah. there's, you know, there's obviously a reason behind this this um, report and, and the recommendations. I, I don't quite know how the mechanics of this are going to work, and you might have might have come across it. But I like the fact that the fund will effectively stay with you. So you know, you get your first job, you you, you choose your fund. Um, I believe you know if you move to different jobs. That's the recommendation that they're made. That instead of yeah, but that, the, that's a good thing. Like, I, I think so. I mean, yeah. anything that reduces the number of funds that you accumulate throughout your life can be a good thing until you're in a position where you want to make that choice. Yes. As we were saying, I mean, that there's nothing in here that, that's trying to take choice away. From what I can read, it's really just about trying to protect those who don't have 
the knowledge and, and aren't engaged um, and, and really just make sure that they're going in, into the right funds or, or those that are perhaps uh, best of breed. Yeah. I might... um. I might jump across to self-managed superannuation because that, that was mentioned in the report as well. Um, probably the, the, the main comment was that uh, funds under, well, funds over a mil- with, with over a million dollars in assets have generally performed quite well, but uh, those self-managed superannuation funds with, with less than a million dollars have tended to underperform due to, once again, due to the, the higher costs. Would you tend to agree with those yeah, comments? I mean, when we're looking at, I mean, we're, we're obviously strong advocates of self-managed funds for, for a number of reasons, but e- even with all the benefits that a self-managed fund can provide, there are fixed costs associated with it. So, I mean, we would generally say that unless you've got at least sort of $350,000, $400,000 at a young age and still accumulating, that you're probably not going to get the benefits from a self-managed fund, are you, with, it, it, with, a, with a lower balance because the yeah. costs can significantly... You might, be, you might be doing great from an investment perspective, but the costs associated with that may be sort of eating away at your return. So it doesn't really surprise me. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, I think it's just, it's, 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 it's related to the fact that the lower the balance, the higher the cost yeah. as a percentage. Yeah, and look, we've definitely covered this on our, on our podcast on self-managed superannuation funds, so we won't really spend much more time on it, but, but um, they do offer many, many advantages. They allow you to do a lot of things that you just can't, can't physically do in, in perhaps industry or retail funds, but that you know that comes at a cost so that's a that's a an important consideration there definitely um have you got many other or any other any other takeouts glenn oh, i mean look i think that when um obviously these reports get um get produced and, and then there's debate and discussion about them and you're always going to have um pros and cons and people who are in favor and against I and mean, to be honest my personal view is that this is an independent panel that's gone away and done substantial research. And it's, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to suggest that people run out and start reading through this report, but mm. there's some actually good information and, and it gives a really good assessment as to how the superannuation system is structured, some of the issues, and obviously it provides recommendations. And look, to be frank, a lot of these recommendations make sense as you read through them. It's all about trying to help people who don't have the knowledge perhaps to make the right decision um, when it's an automated default, just making sure that if we are going to have, because every superannuation is compulsory in Australia, so everyone has to have money yep. being contributed. Um, we're obviously moving to a system of, of self-funding retirement. So the, with an aging population, we keep hearing about the need to um, accumulate your own assets for retirement. So I think we do need to have systems in place that protect people um, when they are starting out with superannuation and so forth. And I think just providing efficiencies where people just don't have multiple funds, multiple costs, and and perhaps benefits that they don't need, like default insurance and things like that, which aren't free. They all come with a cost. Um, and I think anything that can provide more of a bespoke, tailored model, as opposed to just saying everyone needs this, everyone needs that, will hopefully provide better outcomes for everyone. And if you can believe the, the forecast and analysis that, that's been done, we're talking about billions of dollars in costs that don't need to be um, that, that, that don't need to be had by by these people by these members. Mm. There's there's no um there's no uh, set set date for for all this to be well the the the, the mention there's no set date to respond to the report but um the commission outlined a plan to implement the recommendations by 2020 so that's only uh, it's not that far away it's only only a couple of years away so yeah. 
Um, Glenn, would you, would you, on the back of this report, would you offer any advice to, to our listeners? Take any action perhaps? I or? think the advice is what we always say. Look, at least just have a look at your super fund. I mean, mm. yeah, it might not be too exciting and your balance might be fairly modest at, at a young age, but look, there's no harm in just having a look. There's so much information available on the web now, so you don't have to go sifting through product disclosure statements and so forth. Just, you know, understand what, f- well, firstly, the fund that you're investing in, look at your investment option and just look at the costs and the performance and just mm. make sure that, it's um, comparable with perhaps its peers. I, I, w- I would um, warn people against chopping and changing their fund all the time because they're underperforming in any one year because no one can outperform every year. You're never going to have one fund on top every single year. But so long as it's thereabouts, that, that, that would sort of be my suggestion. It's just get a bit of awareness, understand where you're at and then at least you're informed if you want to make a decision to switch or not. The, the, the report actually did... Did, did make or point out that it is hard for for members to interpret the information it is you know, once again unless you're perhaps in the industry or financially savvy it is that was one of the one of the comments um probably one of my pieces pieces of advice would be consolidate consolidate your funds because there'd be a lot of people that as we've spoken about as as was made mentioned in the report that have multiple funds so hopefully um a if you listen to this podcast or, or b if people just hear about this in the news that they're actually going to do something about it. So yeah, definitely. get ahead of the curve. And, 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 and if you've got three funds, you're a millennial. And you've look had, at your insurance and things yeah, like that. Yeah, so consolidate your funds. Completely agree with what you just said, Glenn. Like Review your fund. There's plenty of tools online where you know you can you can get comparisons and and you can compare your funds well, super ratings is one website super ratings yeah that's yeah. definitely they have a list a top 10 list for example yeah. you can look at the performance across I know the number of funds i know it's dominated by industry funds um but that's because they're <laughs> on those metrics they're the best performers uh definitely agree about the insurance too you just you just mentioned glenn um if you've got a couple of funds obviously look to consolidate but just check out the insurance that you've got as well because that can be that can be eating into your in, into your performance or, and, and the outcome. So, Glenn, any, any final comments from no, I think you that, that's before, it. I don't think before it. you wrap up? So, look, generally speaking, uh, just, to, just to wrap up, the, um, the report uh, was, quite, was quite critical on the superannuation industry. Um, you know, it did raise a couple of, of good points, in particular around multiple accounts, um, high fees, underperforming funds. Um, you know, generally speaking, I think the, the consensus from this discussion was that it's, it's a good thing for the, um, for the superannuation industry. Um, it's going to hopefully result in some action and, and give members more, uh, maybe a little bit more control. And for those that maybe are starting out and don't have the knowledge there, um, they'll be somewhat looked after a little bit better and, and, and put, in the right, uh, put in a better performing fund perhaps right from the start. Um, so, yeah, once again, thank you uh, for listening and we look forward to having you next week. Thanks again, everyone, for listening to this week's episode of the podcast. Uh, please, as we always say, check out Hewison Private Wealth at our website, which is www.hewison.com.au. You can also find us via the various social media platforms, so Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Uh, we'd also really appreciate if you leave feedback, um, rate, and review the podcast on iTunes. Um, once again, hope you enjoyed the podcast, and we look forward to speaking to you all again next week.